Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. The principles of honesty and integrity that Sam Lehman founded his business on continue today over 55 years later at Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. Owned and operated by the Birchie family, Sam Lehman in Eureka appreciates the support they've received from their customers all over central Illinois and beyond. Visit them today at laymangm.com. Sharon Janes is a popular speaker, author of 25 books, and she's been a part of Proverbs 31 Ministries for many years, currently writing their online devotions. As we discuss her book entitled Love Struck, you're going to love her storytelling style and ability to make the mysterious Song of Solomon more understandable. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Sharon. I'm excited to be here. Can you just start us off with a little Sharon Jane's 101? Well, I've been doing ministry with women for quite a long time. Grew up in a little town in eastern North Carolina. Had a pretty rough upbringing. Um, My parents, they did not have a great marriage, but um, I saw a lot of things a little girl shouldn't see and heard things a little girl shouldn't hear when I was growing up. But you know what? There was a woman in my neighborhood who led me to Christ when I was 14 years old. And it's a great story, but both of my parents ended up coming to Christ within a six-year period of time. And of course, I was already, I was in my 20s by the time that happened. So when I got married, um, I had a lot of learning to do about what a what a godly marriage was supposed to look like. However, I will say this, the, the woman in my neighborhood that led me to Christ, one of the things that really, really drew me to her and to her family was the godly marriage that she had her and her husband, they were just amazing. So they really impacted my life in many, many ways. But that's kind of the cliff notes of of how I got from a not great environment to come to be a lover of Jesus. That's awesome. And even going back a little ways, you and Lisa Turkhurst also crossed paths and started a ministry. So can you share that story with us too? Oh my goodness, that seems like so long ago. Actually, my degree in college was in dental hygiene. Now, that doesn't have a whole lot to do with writing, but um, that's what I went to college for, and that's what I did as I worked, and it came in very handy because I married a dentist. We actually met, but let me back up. I met, I, I married a student, I will say that. I was already a hygienist and gone back to school to further my education as a dental hygienist, and um, I went to a Bible study one night, and there was this good-looking guy sitting there with a Bible in his hand and a great laugh coming out of his little sweetheart, and pretty quickly we got married, and we had been married 40 years now. So um, all that to say, that dental hygiene degree came in really handy uh, for the first first part of our marriage, but when my son got in middle school, I felt like God was um, getting ready to do something new um, in my life. I had written some Bible studies for my church. Now, listen, dental hygiene, that is all math and science, all math and science. Now, I took one English course, and I barely read any books in high school, so I just want you to keep that in mind. But I started writing Bible studies for my church, and 
that I started writing stories just about what God was teaching me through the day. And then in um, 1995, I think it was, um, I felt like God was telling me there was he was going to do something new in my life. He was doing a new thing, but I didn't know what that was. But I stopped my job as a hygienist. I stopped teaching at my church and I stopped. I worked at a pregnancy care center and just prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? And a year later, someone said, you know, there's a gal in town um, who's starting a ministry called Proverbs 31. It was actually called the Proverbs 31 Homemaker at the time. So she said, maybe she'd meet her. And I wasn't sure why in the world I should meet her. But um, I met Lisa and she was in her 20s at the time. So we sat down and had a chat. And then she asked me to come on the radio. They did little two-minute spots on our local radio station, and I went on and did some of my stories. And so after we finished the radio programs, uh, Lisa said she had been praying for about a year for a partner, and she felt like God was telling me that it was it was me. And I'm like, oh, Lisa, I don't know anything about radio. I don't know anything about starting up a ministry. But I told her I would pray about it. And so that following week, my husband and I went away on a, on a supposed to be a romantic vacation. My son was off at camp. And, and during that time when we were there, I kept thinking about this ministry opportunity, what I should do. It's so funny if Steve's like, let's try and think about that right now. This is a time for romance. And, um, but I just could not get it out of my head. And one night we went to a, this beautiful restaurant and there was a a little band playing. It was like playing ballroom dance music. And we had taken a very few ballroom dance classes and he wanted me to get up and get on that dance floor, see if we could remember the foxtrot. Well, I didn't want to go because I, we didn't know it very well. We were the only ones up there. So I said, no, I don't think so. But then another couple came, perfect steps. Another couple came, not so perfect steps. So I agreed to go, got behind a ficus tree where I didn't think anybody could see us. And then when I finally looked up, I saw a fourth couple coming onto that floor. And there was something special about them, Laura, because you see the man was in a wheelchair. And as I watched that wife dance back and forth with that man in that wheelchair, God just really did something to my heart. And she danced around his chair and would laugh and giggle. And then when that band played a slow song, she pulled up a chair beside her husband's wheelchair, facing in the opposite direction, and just held him. They closed their eyes and swayed back and forth. And God began to speak to my heart. And when I say that, I don't mean that God spoke audibly, but it were thoughts that I know he put in my head that were not my own. And it was as if he was saying, look around the room. Who moved that room to tears? Was it the couple with the perfect steps who never missed a beat? Or was it the last couple who had really no steps at all, but the wife did it for him? And I began to see him telling me, you do what I've called you to do, and I will do it for you just like she did it for him. And isn't that a pattern that we see all through the Bible? When someone says yes to God, God ends up doing it for them, doing it through them. And that's what I saw happening when I joined Lisa at Proverbs 31. And through the years, I was there that first 10 years of, of when they were getting started. And most of the time I was vice president. And then when she had her third child, um, I became president for three years while she took care of those little three and got them 
in, to a place where she could come back and take the baton again. And um, it is just so wonderful to see how God has blessed that ministry. And um, they just bought their first building last week. So um, it's just been amazing to, to watch it grow. And I'm so thankful that that I got to be a part of that. So I was, I was gone for a period of time. I'm back there now. But um, I'm just um, writing devotions for them and teaching at She Speaks. They're speaking in writing conference and sometimes helping out with the First Five app. Well, I love seeing all of your giftings and you've written so many books, but a recent one is called Love Struck. And I would like to know what you discovered through your research in Song of Solomon. So occasionally I will write for the first five app in Proverbs 31. Um, it's just a, an app that Proverbs 31 has, and it takes the first five minutes of your day to get you focused in God's Word. So as I did just five or ten lessons for the Song of Solomon for Proverbs 31, I got so intrigued by it and and realized what I didn't know about what the Song of Solomon was really talking about. Because it's, Laura, it's, it's like it's written in code. And it's in a code that we don't really understand in our current culture. They would have understood exactly what Solomon was writing about. But for us, it's like comparing a woman's teeth to newly shorn sheep. I mean, that just sounds really strange. Or her neck to a tower. And what is this about calling her legs like a horse's legs? So, you know, the, a lot of that is in code. And, and I'll tell you, I was very surprised when I went back and did the deep research and looking at the culture and what, what the different symbolism really was talking about. What surprised me the most is how um, explicit the writing was. It was very open and bold, the words he was saying. However, there's nothing dirty about it at all. It is absolutely beautiful. And when you go back and look at what he was really saying, it really puts a different perspective of what sexual intimacy, how it was designed to be so beautiful um, by our creator. Well, and will you teach us why this book of the Bible is still relevant and reliable, even though Solomon didn't have the most squeaky clean record by the end of his life? No, he didn't. And what a lesson for us. I mean, he was called one of the wisest men in the world, and yet he did not finish well. So that's just a warning to all of us to make sure that we do finish well. One of the reasons is it's still relevant for us today is it because it, it shows us how to maintain a strong marriage for life. It shows the process of meeting and falling in love and what we would call courting. It shows the engagement period. It shows the actual wedding. It shows the actual honeymoon. And then it shows how to maintain that relationship for a lifetime, especially in the chapters when it talks about the, the little foxes that can creep in to our marriage and destroy the fruit. And again, that's kind of written in code. Um, back then, they would have had vineyards. And in the vineyard, the little foxes would come in and they would eat the grapes. Now, here's something we need to know. When you're reading the Song of Solomon, 
anytime you read anything about produce, <laughs> Solomon or the Shulamanite is not talking about going to the farmer's market. Every time there's a mention of pomegranates, of grapes, of anything with, with fruit, um, it's always talking about sex. So just know that as you're going through, that's one of the, the, the code words there. So um, the little foxes part is so important because there's so much, you know, as you know, Laura, there's so much that can come in and steal the intimacy and what's important in a marriage in our culture. Well, let's elaborate on the little foxes. What are some of the other little foxes that couples may commonly experience? No, there's so many little foxes that can, can creep in and destroy the, the fruit of a marriage or the physical intimacy or emotional intimacy in a marriage. Some of them you would expect, like working too much or not working enough or watching too much television or jealousy. I mean, those are kind of the big ones that we kind of all know. But let me give you some that might not come to mind, like making motherhood a priority above the marriage. Listen, that is a little fox, especially in our culture. That wasn't a problem, I think, two or three generations ago. But I see this in our current culture that it is so easy to put children above the husband. Um, But it's so important to keep that marriage relationship strong and the number one priority, only second to our relationship with God. And listen, Laura, you know, when I was growing up, I would have given anything to know that my parents loved each other, but I didn't feel that. And it made me very insecure. So don't worry about putting your husband above your children. It will give them such a sense of security. Here's another one, serving too much in the church rather than serving your mate, or maybe making sure you have a spotless house or for a man, a weedless lawn. You know, there's so many of those, anything that we will put above our relationship, our marriage can be a little fox that causes problems. Our friends have, you know, spending more time with your friend than with your husband. And listen, I think it's so interesting that when Solomon, this book has really made three main characters. There's, there's the husband, there's the, the Shulmanite or the beloved. And then there are the, I call them the backup singers. These are the kind of her friends in the background that come in every now and then. And when Solomon talks about these little foxes, he says, catch for us the foxes. Now, who's he talking to? I think he's talking to God. I think he's praying, God, show us anything and everything that can creep into our marriage that can come between us and disrupt this physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy that we have, because we want our marriage to be fruitful. And those foxes can come in the shape of dysfunction, dissatisfaction, selfishness, possessiveness, jealousy, flippancy. I mean, he's saying, God, help us see them. Help us see those little foxes when they're little, because Laura, if we don't see them when they're little, then they're going to grow big. Well, and Sharon, from your studies then, how did this couple model ways that they could catch those little foxes and keep their marriage as a high priority? We see this toward the end of the book. We're kind of jumping around a little bit. He prays prays that in the beginning, catch for us the little foxes. And then they have the, the courting phase, the marriage itself, the honeymoon 
when they go actually go on the honeymoon and we get to see, you know, what happens there. And then the last two chapters of the book, there's some information about how they keep their marriage strong. You know, I love at the very end, she goes out to the field where Solomon is working and she comes up and she taps him on. I can see her. It doesn't say taps him on the shoulder, but I, I think she comes and, and taps him on the sh- shoulder, maybe pulls his robe a little bit as he's working. And she says, come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded. Now, remember, vineyards, that's not talking about picking grapes right? Let's go see if the vineyards have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. Okay, let's delve into this just a little bit. What is she doing? Well, the husband's out working. She's coming up to him, and she is saying, you know what? We need to get away for a little while. So let's just, let's drop the work. Let's get away from here, pack our bags, and let's go back to the villages like we used to before we got married. And there I will give you my love. Now, anytime you see something that says mandrakes, you can even see this in Egyptian culture when you're looking at the hieroglyphics that the, the Egyptians would draw. You can see a woman holding up a mandrake before a man. And that was kind of an aphrodisiac. It was an invitation. And we don't see that a whole lot in the Bible. We do see how the the other cultures impacted God's children because there was this thing with Leah and Rachel where Leah was having a lot of children and Rachel was not. And Rachel asked her for her mandrakes. They considered an aphrodisiac. So she's talking about the the mandrakes here. And then she says that she's going to give him her love both something old and something new. So she had something new up her sleeve that he didn't even know about. Again, this is very explicit for us when you understand what they're talking about, both old and new that I have stored up for you, my beloved. So what's she doing? She's keeping it fresh. She's saying, let's get away by ourselves. And I've got some things in my sleeve that you're really going to like. So uh, I just think that is so cute. It's just, I can just picture them, um, picture her doing that. And that's exactly what they did. I want you to notice too, Laura, for us to notice that all during this love song, when we see these four different stages of this this romance between this man and this woman, there's no mention of children. Um, And what that says to me is this is about romantic love in a marriage. And that is why it's so important to us today is to go back and see what God intended. Now, there are going to be, as as you mentioned at the beginning, um, Solomon did not finish well. And there will be some people who say, well, I'm not going to read that because I know what Solomon was really like. And what could he have to say to me? But that is such a dangerous place to be because almost every person, every man that God used in the scriptures had a had a weakness and had something that look at David had an affair with Bathsheba. I mean, there's you know almost every time you go through there was a, there was a weakness in something that happened. And if we had that attitude, then then we wouldn't be reading a large part of the Bible. But God made sure that this book of the Bible, right in the middle of our Bible, that this was in here for a reason because it is a picture of what God intended for marriage to be like. 
And I think it's such a picture of grace, the undeserved gift for having, like you said, a fallen and broken man writing this, that the Lord ordained it is still is relevant to us today. You know, I mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation that my parents' marriage was was not a good one. And one day I was cleaning out a drawer at my mom's house. I was in a junk drawer and I was I think I was looking for a pencil and and I came across this little record when my father had fought in the Korean War for a bit. And this is a long time ago. I guess it was back in the late 40s. Um, they the soldiers would make little records like vinyl records that they would send home to their sweethearts or to their families. And I found this little record that my dad had sent my mom during the war. And um, I thought, goodness, I wonder what in the world this says. It was their first year of marriage. And so I played that little record. And on the record, he was telling my mom how much he missed her, how much he loved her. He couldn't wait to see her, thanked her for being patient and living with his mom while he was away. And it was just full of love. And Laura, I could hear the emotion in his voice just cracking as he talked about how much he loved and missed my mom. And I held up that record and I thought, how in the world did this happen? How did a marriage that started out with this much love and emotion end up being these two people who could barely stand each other? And how did that happen? Well, it didn't happen all at once. It happened with these little foxes that crept in that they didn't deal with, and the little foxes became big beasts, and it ruined their marriage. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka has been owned and operated by the Birchie family for over 25 years. A lot has changed in the car business since Sam and Stephen's grandfather, Sam Lehman, opened his first Chevrolet dealership over 55 years ago. If you visit their dealership today, though, you'll find that not everything has changed. They still operate their dealership like their grandfather did, with honesty and integrity. Sam and Stephen understand that you have many different choices in where you buy or service your vehicle. This is why they do everything they can to make the car buying process as easy and hassle-free as possible. They are thankful for the many lasting friendships that began with a simple, welcome to Sam Layman's. Their customers keep coming back because they experience something different. I've known Sam and Steven and their wives my entire life, and I can vouch for their character and integrity, which makes it easy to highly recommend you check them out today. Your car buying process doesn't have to be something you dread. So come see for yourself at Sam Layman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. Sam and Steven would love to see you, and they appreciate your business. Learn more at their website, laymaneureka.com, or visit them on Facebook by searching for Sam Layman Eureka. You can also call them at 309-467-2351. Thanks for your sponsorship. And we're definitely speaking to the healthy marriages right now, nothing with an abusive marriage or controlling marriage. But when we look at healthy marriages, the Song of Solomon teaches us something about female desire that is definitely different from our typical cultural assumption. So can you elaborate on that? Hey, let's look at the very first verse of the Song of Solomon. First of all, it says it's a song of all songs. And that means, you know how we say king of kings or lord of lords. What that means is that he's the king of all kings. He's the lord of all lords. So when we see 
the song of songs is saying, this is the best song of all. This is a song of songs. So that's the very first verse. And then it starts right in on the woman. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. So it just right at the beginning, this starts out. This is really the woman's song rather than the man. And she starts out saying, I want to kiss that guy and I want him to kiss me and kiss me and kiss me. And I don't want him to stop. Now, I don't want us to get confused here when it says, draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. They did not have physical intimacy, sexual intimacy until they were married. But in the first two chapters, she thought about it a lot. And you think about that before you were married, how you thought about it. I mean, it was on your mind. I mean, you when you kissed, you thought about what it would be like. And this was on her mind. And we know that they didn't because she tells us twice as she tells her friends. Remember, we're talking about the, the backup singers here. Don't awaken love until it's time. So she's telling them that she actually says it three times, twice before they got married. Don't awaken love before it's time. So she knows she needs to wait that they are going to wait, but she is certainly dreaming about it. But I think it just tickles me that it just starts, the book starts with the first line, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So yeah, she could go through there, especially those chapters before they get married, that she is longing for this day. And then in the lovemaking part, when they're on their honeymoon, and the honeymoon is so precious because one thing that really I love about that is she is so insecure, this woman. She she says, you know, her skin is, is ruddy and because she's been burnt by the sun, taking care of her brother's um, vineyards, and she just doesn't feel like she's very pretty. And what he thinks she's the most beautiful thing of all. He says, I mean, she is just a, a beautiful lily. But on the honeymoon, before he touches her with his hands, he touches her with his words, starting at the top of her head and going all the way down to her feet, telling her how each part of her body is so beautiful. So touching him with words before he touches her with his hands. But then she does the same thing with him. Later on in the book, she praises him. Do you think our husbands need to know that we think they're hunky? Yes, absolutely. Um, they want to know that. And she does that again, going from head to toe telling him about what she thinks about each part of his body. And there's a lot of symbolism, you know, in those descriptions. And it's pretty amazing when you go back and break the code and find out what they're talking about. And that is interesting just to see that secular pattern of he affirms her and she desires him and she affirms him and he desires her. And one of my favorite parts of the Song of Solomon is where she says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. So what do you think the connection is between being friends and being lovers in marriage? Laura, this comes right after the section that I just talked about, how how the Shulmanite goes through and, and tells about her husband's body and what she loves about it, that he's radiant and ruddy, that he's outstanding among 10,000. She talks about his hair, about his eyes. She talks about his abdomen and she talks about his legs and his mouth, which is, is altogether lovely. And then she said, this is my beloved and this is my friend. 
daughters of Jerusalem. So she's actually giving this description to her friends. And there's a reason um, they had just had their first fight. And I want to say, Song of Solomon, there is an argument in here. So that's good to know that in the perfect marriage, um, you're going to have some fights. So this comes after one of their arguments. But but she is reminded, oh, let's just go back. I think we need to tell what happened here before we get into that to that verse. Because what it, what happened was they got married. They had this steamy, wonderful honeymoon. And then the very next chapter, he comes knocking on her door. Now, during this time in history, a king would often not live in the same area, um, same building with his wife. So she's got her little chambers. And he comes after a long day's work knocking on her door. And she's like, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. And in our vernacular, be like, I've already got my PJs on. I've already brushed my teeth. I've washed my face. Not interested. And so he goes away. And then she's like, oh, like, oh, no, what have I done? What have I done? So she she has rejected him, basically, and said she's just not interested. And he leaves. And so her friends are saying, you know what? Um, and listen, we need to make sure we have good friends, friends that will remind us why we love our husbands and not tear them down. And her friends are like, tell us, what did you love about what do you love about him in the first place? So they're getting her to remember, why do you love this man? And she goes to that recounting. And then she says to her friends, this person that I've just described to you, this is my beloved. This is my friend's daughters of Jerusalem. This is why I love him so much. So she is saying, yes, it's not just the romantic relationship that is important, but we're good friends. We like to do things together. We go off together. We play together. And play is so important when it comes to a spouse. I remember a long time ago, there was a, a commercial and men were sitting around a campfire drinking their favorite beverage. And one of them said, well, it doesn't get any better than this. But you know what? It does get better than that. Just hanging out with the guys because a strong friendship with our spouse is is so important. And that's what's going to keep that's going to keep a marriage strong. Um, so I encourage husbands and wives to find something that they like to do together, an activity that they like to do together. This morning before we um, you and I hopped on here for this interview. My husband and I were out planting in the dirt, planting hostas together. I mean, we love to do that. We were out there doing it together, our project together. So I encourage you to to work together, to play together and create memories because those memories will become so important. They will become those ties that just bind you together. So it's important to be good friends that doesn't mean that we don't have women don't have girlfriends and guys don't have guy friends. I mean, we still need that part of our, in our marriage, too, because you don't want to depend on your spouse for all of your friendship needs. But you need to make sure that your spouse is your number one friend. Hey, everyone. By now, I hope you've checked out our articles that are available at thesavvysauce.com. And if you sign up to join our email list, you'll enjoy free ideas and encouragement delivered straight to your inbox. Our hope is to encourage you to have your own practical chats for intentional living. So the freebies will oftentimes include questions you can ask on your next date night, safe resources to read to promote enjoyment in your sexual intimacy and marriage, or questions to ask yourself to promote spiritual growth. We hope you check out all the available reads at thesavvysauce.com under the Articles tab. Do you have any other 
practical ways that we can all remain love-struck in our marriages? Well, we've talked about so many. Let's just kind of review them. One is watch out for the little boxes. Is there anything that's that's crept into my marriage? And and I say crept because sometimes we don't know it at first until it's gotten to be a problem. Is there any fox in my marriage that I need to deal with and we need to deal with right now? Maybe we need help of a counselor to deal with it. Um, we need to make sure that we're putting our marriage um, making our marriage a priority, even above children. And listen, that'll give your children so much security. Make sure that our marriage is the number one priority right under our relationship with the Lord, with God. Uh, we need to make sure and to be friends, to do things that friends would do. Um, if you don't have activities that you do together, um, sit down and come up with some that you both enjoy. And we need to make sure and get away together and go back and did what we did at the beginning. You know, we, we remember in the, in the book of Revelation when it said God was talking to the churches at Ephesus. And he said, and this was a church that had great love for the Lord. He said, but you've forgotten your first love. And what he told him to do is to remember and return. And listen, if your marriage has gotten to a place where things have gotten kind of stale, then we can remember and return. Remember what drew you together in the first place and return and do some of those activities that you did together in the first place. And I want to leave that remember and return um, is something that that you can it could be a springboard. I think it's so important. I think it's important for what you're doing, Laura, to reminding marriages on how to be strong. I mean, I, I've, I've written a little book called The 14 Day Romance Challenge, and and that's for all of us who have allowed our marriages to, to become stale, just some little simple ideas on ways to just put it in our in our minds and make it important, make it um, keeping our marriage strong important. It's not going to just happen without effort. It takes effort and it takes intentionality to have a marriage that goes the distance. Well, and you've written so many helpful books. Where would you direct listeners to find you online and be able to find some of your resources that are available as well? Well, you can go to SharonJanes.com. Um, and my last name's kind of different. It's J-A-Y-N-E-S, SharonJanes.com. And my books are there, but there's also a section called Free Resources. And in that section, there's romance tips, lots of marriage ideas that you can print out that are for free. Um, of course, you can also find all of my books on, on Amazon, CBD, at your local bookstore, Barnes & Noble. Um, so you can find them there. And I will say that Love Struck, I have a Bible study guide that is only on my website uh, for groups to do together. And that will have some fun discussion. Let me say it's really a lot of fun. <laughs> well, we will certainly link to all of that in our show notes to make it easy for everyone to access. And you may know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or discernment. And so as my final question for you today, Sharon, what is your Savvy Sauce? Uh, my savvy sauce is the word of God. And I bet, you know, so many of your guests say that, but isn't it the truth that just knowing the word of God and praying that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to to see what the word has to say and what it means and what it means to you. That is my lifeline. And even writing this book on um, such a confusing eight chapters in the Bible 
um, the savvy sauce for me was just going in and digging in and see what the words actually meant and seeing what the word of God has to say about physical intimacy with your spouse. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us today. You're such a fun guest and you're full of joy and full of depth. So thanks for bringing all of that to our time together today. Thank you. I look forward to coming back. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.